Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Wednesday, November 27th, 2019. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the latest film and TV news. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm the senior writer at SlashFilm.com, and I am joined on today's episode by Slash Film writer Chris Evangelista. Hello, folks. Chris, it's almost Thanksgiving. We're almost about to clock out, but uh, we wanted to give people one more news episode for the week. So this is going to be a shorter episode, I think. But um, let's talk a little bit about Star Wars because it's Star Wars season and that's, uh, I guess, on everybody's minds right now. Um, J.J. Abrams is out there on the interview circuit doing a ton of interviews and he spoke with Esquire about a bunch of things and I I gathered up a lot of the best quotes there. in an article at slashfilm.com. I'll link to that in the show notes, but I wanted to, to bring up a couple things. He uh, he talked a little bit about uh, Baby Yoda from The Mandalorian, and uh, I, I thought his comment there might be worth mentioning. He said, he was basically talking about like um, how the original trilogy, he was praising that for the way that it sort of like, uh, you know, did the whole world building thing, creating its universe by sort of offhandedly like mentioning things like the Clone Wars, but never actually showing them. And uh, he seemed to, sort of draw a line between that and what's going on with the Mandalorian and and Baby Yoda. He said, you always felt there was a peripheral life and history and world beyond what you're seeing. For me, Star Wars is sort of uh, constantly expanding and sort of ever expanding. And the ability to choose a character like Yoda and say, what if we created a Baby Yoda? The reason these things are reasonable to people is because it's not just nostalgia, but it's taken something that is meaningful, a story that has deep roots and potency and resonates with a human heart, a a beating heart. These are the kinds of things that when they hit, when there's something that feels like oomph, it's not just cute, but it um, it implies a story. It sparks the imagination. So there's more to his quote, but I wanted to uh, to see what you thought about that, Chris. Like, have you, are, have you caught up with The Mandalorian yet, or have you only seen, what, the first or second episode? I am caught up. I've, I'm finally caught up. Um... <laughs> what do you think about the idea that Baby Yoda is not just a cute thing, but the fact that it exists sort of, uh, you know, forces people to ask larger questions about the Star no, Wars universe? <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's literally just a cute thing. <laughs> I suspected look, you might answer that way. <laughs> look, I, I know people are digging the Mandalorian, and that's fine, but I honestly... I find it really boring. Uh, Yo- Baby Yoda is really cute. 
And I love when Werner Herzog shows up. But beyond that, I find the show like really, really dull. I feel like it has absolutely nothing to say. It's just a bunch of cool stuff that people recognize. And that's fine if that's what you want out of the, you know, your your Star Wars stuff. I'm not judging you, but I I get nothing from this show beyond being like, oh, baby Yoda is cute. Like, but beyond that, like there's nothing more to him. Like, I'm, I'm sure eventually they'll be like, you know, oh, he's a clone or something. But as of now, it's it's there's there's nothing to that character. <laughs> I, want, I want to read the rest of Abrams quote here. He says, uh, whether it's bringing back Lando and wanting to know what's been going on or introducing a brand new character and brand new droids or a brief glimpse of Baby Yoda. All these things are about possibility, potential. And that's the very heart of what Star Wars is. Does that do anything for you, Chris? Or just like like the, that concept of potential and possibility, does, does that uh, does that just not ring true to you in, in the case of The Mandalorian? I, 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 feel, I don't want to like judge. I feel like there are two different types of Star Wars fans. There are the type who want like the greatest hits. They want to see things they recognize. They want all this stuff they know to just keep popping up again. And then there's you know people like me who wants this stuff to expand and that's the reason i love the last jedi so much is because that movie takes established stuff and does really different does like different stuff with it and a lot of people did not like that they got angry that it was trying to do something different and i'm on the opposite end of the spectrum there where i want to see something different and the mandalorian to me feels like more of the same it's literally just like Here's a guy wearing Boba Fett's armor and here's baby Yoda. It's like we we've we've seen Yoda already. We've seen Boba Fett. Give me something new. That's what I want. And that's that's probably why I like Werner Herzog in the show so much, because we've never had Werner Herzog in Star Wars before. So like when he shows up, I'm like, oh, this is cool and new. But beyond that, it's just it's it's the same old stuff. I think for I, I think I largely agree with you. I think to to take Peter's perspective and, and play the devil's advocate just for a second, like for people who maybe are hardcore uh, Mandalorian fans who are listening to this and screaming into their devices right now, I think it might be fair to say that the first three episodes of the Mandalorians, the, uh, I'm sorry, the ones that have uh, that have aired already might have, they sort of feel like set up for um, the potential to do that expansion that you're hoping for. And I hope that they do because I, I love the new stuff as well. Um, and I do feel like the, the first three episodes have been a lot of sort of like repeating motifs and, and things that we've seen in star yeah. Wars. But um, yeah, I, I agree. I, I, I feel like this show was actually written to be, to be binged and, but Disney isn't releasing it during with that binge model. They're releasing it weekly, but I feel like the way it's written it's meant to be watched in like one big block because all the episodes like lead directly into each other and they're all telling one story. And I feel like when they were planning it, they were like, we're going to plan this on the binge model. Then they, they changed their mind. And I think the show is suffering because of it. That's interesting. Cause I, I found the second episode of, of the Mandalorian, which a, a lot of people loved. I found it to be like really interminable, but I think in a binging scenario where, you know, it's just 30 minutes or whatever, and you can instantly jump into the next one. I don't think I would have had as much of a problem with it if I could have just immediately, uh, you know, continue that story and, and just like considered it like a brief bump in the road instead of spending an entire week being like, that's what we got. And like, you know, thinking about it, like mulling it over in my head, like for some shows that approach really works where, 
I want to spend a week with what I just watched and, and think about it and stuff. But for that episode specifically, I was so sort of underwhelmed by it that, um, that it, it made me like stew with it a little bit. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I'm sure you and I are, are probably on the, you know, the outliers uh, in terms of that stuff. But um, you mentioned fandom, uh, that the topic of toxic fandom is something that's obviously a, a huge uh, point of conversation in the um, Star Wars universe. And Abrams talked a little bit about that too. He, uh, he basically talked about his relationship with Star Wars. And I, I thought, you know, his comments were like, he basically said, I'm going to, I'm not going to read his entire quote, but he, to boil it down, he was like, I don't agree with every single thing that happens in every one of these movies, but I still love Star Wars. And he says, I'm sure, uh, I, for me, I hope, and I'm sure naively, that we can return to a time where we get, give things a little bit more latitude. We don't have to agree with every single thing to love something. And that's like, um, that shouldn't be a, uh, a revolutionary thought or approach, but it certainly seems like it in this day and age when not just Star Wars, but tons of, you know, major properties, fandoms, um, are so like, uh, you know, the, they just have their heels dug in so hard. And it's just, um, I don't know. It's, it's interesting that JJ Abrams of all people is out here, like preaching the concept of nuance. <laughs> and it just seems like, uh, I hope people take that message to heart. Although, you know, I don't think they will just because of the world that we're living in right now. But, um, okay. The, the other, uh, Abrams comment that I thought was, was, uh, worth mentioning was he specifically talked about how the last Jedi helped set up, the rise of Skywalker. And this is something that like uh, Chris, you mentioned you love the last Jedi. I do too. I think you and I are probably, oh, and Jacob as well, I think um, are like the biggest fans. Uh, and actually HT loves it too. So maybe it's just Peter and, and Brad who are not quite as warm on it. But um, in any case, I think as soon as that movie ended, a lot of people were wondering how the rise of Skywalker, this final entry in the Skywalker saga was going to uh, address the storytelling choices that Ryan Johnson made in that film. And I, I've been worried about that really ever since <laughs> Abrams was announced as the director, but it sounds like, uh, he, the choices made in last Jedi actually sort of paved the way for him to do whatever he wanted to do. So he basically said, um, Ryan didn't have the whole group collaborative, uh, the whole group collaborative adventure of it together. And that was really fun to get to tell the story of the group, the droids, out on one breakneck, crazy, desperate adventure. The choices that he made, uh, he talks about, you know, his his relationship with The Last Jedi, how he, he was surprised by the film. Uh, he says, as a filmmaker working on Episode Nine, amazingly, nothing that he did in Last Jedi got in the way of things that we had talked about wanting to do down the line, ideas that I had about where things might go. So it wasn't like his story somehow derailed the things I wanted to pursue. In fact, strangely, they might have even helped strengthen them because we got to make some of the choices that sort of took advantage of the fact that Ryan hadn't done the things that we were thinking about doing. So, uh, Chris, as somebody who I know shares my, um, you know, uh, slight concerns about uh, Rise of Skywalker and, and how that movie might handle what's come before, do these uh, comments give you any hope at all? Sure. I uh, <laughs> I like J.J. Abrams. I, I don't think he's like the most innovative filmmaker in the world, but I do think he, he has a really great grasp on uh, this sort of material and he's really good at character work. So I do think I, 
I feel like I'm I, I I don't know how to approach the Rise of Skywalker at this point because I love the Last Jedi and I'm so afraid, like you said, I'm so afraid that ninety percent of this movie is going to be like we have to correct what the Last Jedi did, even though I don't think the Last Jedi needs correcting. And I feel like even if it doesn't do that, there's going to be that subset of you know bitter vocal people out there who are who are just going to claim the movie did do that. Yeah, <laughs> they, they want to be vindicated in their their hatred of Last Jedi, and but it sounds like from this quote that he's not interested in doing that. But I, I guess it's just you know whether or not we fully believe him. Um, I I feel like we uh, to quote the Joker, we live in a society, and that society is believing they they like to believe what they want to believe. So what I'm saying is, even if Ryan, even if J.J. Uh, Abrams is being truthful here, and uh, Rise of Skywalker isn't about correcting things that happened in The Last Jedi. I still think there are going to be a very vocal group of people who claim the movie does just that. They're going to come in, they're going to be like, ah, J.J. Abrams saved Star Wars, and they're right. just going to, they're not going to let it go. And I'm just going to have to deal with that. I'm going yeah. to have to. I have to grit my teeth and and not not let it get to me. Yeah, it's going to be exhausting, uh, and I think you're absolutely right about that. But I, I I do think that you know even as much as I love the Last Jedi and I truly love that movie, I think the one <clears throat> complaint that I might have with it is that I love the new core cast so much, and they don't really get to spend a lot of time together in that film. So I am very excited about the prospect of all of you know Daisy Ridley and and John Boyega and um, Oscar Isaac and all of those people spending tons of time together in this movie. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I'm into that idea too, but I also feel like splitting them up sort of follows the, the original trilogy in a way, like um, the empire strikes back, like splits a lot of them up. Mm -hmm. Like Luke goes off on his own sort of thing. And, and you know, you know, he's on, I don't know the name of the planet with Yoda and all that stuff. So, you know, even though I do agree that I love these new characters and I love this new cast and I, I'm excited to see them spend time together. I feel like it's been earned. Like the first movie introduced them. The second movie broke them up. And now this third movie is going to finally bring them back together again. I feel like that's a, good progression and yeah I, I so i think it, it's gonna work out i think you're right i think you know from an yeah from an arc perspective it totally makes sense i just on a selfish level i just love their chemistry and their dynamics so much that i just want to see as much of it as possible so i'm, I'm glad that we finally reached that point in the arc where we it sounds like we're about to get that so uh let's move on to invisible woman so this this was announced i think yesterday that a new movie is coming out this is not to be confused with invisible man which is uh, a film that actually has a trailer out right now but is this movie um, related to Invisible Man in any way? What, what's going on with this film, Chris? No. So when when this news broke, I was a little puzzled because, um, you know, this movie is coming from Universal. And Universal, of course, tried to create their own cinematic universe with their monsters with the dark universe. And it failed immediately with The Mummy because uh, that movie bombed. <laughs> and so after that happened... Uh, Universal took a step back and they put out a statement, you know, a little while later saying, all right, we're going to try something like this again, but we're not going to worry about cinematic universes. We're going to let all these films stand alone. And they already have Invisible Man made that's coming out in um, February. And they, they recently uh, announced a movie called Renfield, which is like a Dracula spinoff. And there's also Paul Feig's uh, Dark Army, which 
is going to feature classic Universal monsters and new monsters. So all those films sounded like they were standing on their own. And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, this is this is the way to do it. And then the other day they announced this Invisible Woman movie. And I immediately was like, are they changing course again and making a connected universe after all? But uh, by all reports, even though this movie has Invisible in the title, even though it's a Universal movie and even though it will presumably involve invisibility it's not going to be connected to invisible man at all which i honestly think is like way too confusing for the general movie public to understand but i guess we'll worry about that when we get there but um what we do know about this is elizabeth banks is going to direct and star in the film and the tone of the movie not the plot but the tone of the movie is being described as american psycho meets thelma and louise so Make of that what you will. Uh, there is an original you know, uh, Invisible Woman movie from Universal. It was released in the 19. It was released in 1940, and that movie was actually kind of like a screwball comedy about this model who uh, gets fired, and she wants to get revenge on her mean boss. So she <laughs> hooks up with a mad scientist, and the mad scientist turns her invisible so she can get revenge. And then gangsters get involved. It's a really silly movie, but <laughs> that does not sound like what this movie is going to be. Uh, so uh, are you excited about Invisible Man? And then separately, what do you think about Invisible Woman? Like, I, I know that the, um, I think you're absolutely right about the, the confusion on the general audience's part, but from like a creative standpoint, like setting aside how audiences may react to this, just looking at the, the, the ideas of the movies themselves, do you think this is a smart approach? I mean, I'm a huge fan of the Universal Monsters. Um, I think Invisible Man looks great. I'm a big fan of Lee Wannell, who directed that, so I'm really looking forward to that. Um, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, I, I like Elizabeth Banks as an actress. I think she's a really good actress with the right material. However, I don't think she's a very good director. Like She has yet to direct something that's impressed me. Um, I haven't seen Charlie's Angels yet, but by all accounts, it's not very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know you're a big Pitch Perfect, what is it, two fan? <laughs> I mean, not but... really. That that's become this huge narrative within our our <laughs> but... slack our slash film slack. I just I wanted to stick up for that movie when everybody seemed to be crapping on it. I don't I don't think it's bad as it's as bad as everybody thinks it is. That's the, right. the extent of my Pitch Perfect two like, fandom. <laughs> I don't think Elizabeth Banks is a great director. At the same time, I think it's nice that. For once, a, a female director is being allowed to fail upward because male directors all the time make movies that flop and they, they still get handed big, big movies. Yeah, and, we were just talking about Noah Hawley the other day, and that's like a perfect, a perfect recent right. example of that. Whereas a lot of times when a female director like Karen Kusama is a, is a great example of this. She she was this budding indie director. She got handed a big tentpole movie with uh, Aeon Flux. And that movie bombed and it sort of like derailed her career for a while. And she's only now sort of like climbed out of that hole uh, where, you know, so it seems like more often than not, when a, when a female director makes a movie that bombs, they, they get put in director's jail. And so I kind of like that, even though Charlie's Angels bomb, people, uh, Hollywood is like, all right, make this instead. So it's, you know, that's progress. <laughs> yeah, that's, exactly. We, we'll count it. Equality. Uh, okay, let's talk about the Fugitive remake. I, I feel like this is a bit of deja vu because not too long ago on the podcast, we talked about 
The Fugitive and the idea of a remake, and that was because I think Quibi, the upcoming mobile streaming service that offers Quick Bytes, hence the name Quibi, uh, is going to be like doing its own version of The Fugitive, but Hollywood is apparently not content with uh, one new version of The Fugitive. There's another one in the works, Chris? Yes, there is a new Fugitive movie in the works from uh, director Albert Hughes. Uh, he's one of the Hughes brothers. They directed Menace to Society and From Hell and uh, The Book of Eli. And Albert Hughes has directed a few solo movies. So I think he directed, it was called Alpha, about a dog or something. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen it. But um, so, yeah, he's directing the Fugitive remake at Warner Brothers. We don't really know what it's going to be. We just know that it's being described as a new spin on the material. And I'm I'm not happy about this because I I honestly think the Fugitive, the, the Harrison Ford Fugitive from 1983 is a perfect movie. And I'm not being hyperbolic here. I mean, there are many good movies. There are very few perfect movies. And I honestly think the, the Fugitive really is perfect as is. And there's nothing you can do to that movie to improve it. But Hollywood doesn't care about that. So we're getting another one. <laughs> the Fugitive is such like a, a sturdy thriller. That's how I would describe it. It's like it knows exactly what it's trying to do and it executes perfectly on every level. It's, it's, it doesn't have, you know, a lot of times you can feel movies like where their reach exceeds their grasp. And this is not an example of that. This is an example of a movie just like staying in its lane and just like running the perfect lap in that lane. You know, it, it's so solid all the way through. Right. And it's, it's really the type of movie they don't make anymore. And I just know that this new version is going to have some dumbass like high concept thing like it's in space or something like because that's the only way you get movies like this made now like they'll be like the fugitive will be like the joker it's gonna have some sort of dumb angle that they have to throw in there because that's the only type of way movies like this get made anymore and i'm i'm not looking forward to that so the 93 film that we're talking about um is based on a tv show from the 1960s and when i first heard about this news of, of this new version this new remake I was like, man, at least wait, you know, the proper amount of time. And then I was actually thinking about it. And I think it was about 30 years from the 60s to the 90s when that happened. And I didn't really realize this, but by the time this movie comes out, it probably will be about 30 years from 93 until, you know, 20 whatever um, when that actually happens. And like that just made me sad because 1993 doesn't seem like that long ago to me. But uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm just getting old and losing all sense of time. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so let's talk about our last news story. That is that Mark Ruffalo was at Tokyo Comic-Con recently, and he talked about how he pitched more Hulk movies to Marvel Studios. He said that uh, Kevin Feige asked him last week if he had more ideas or stories for the Hulk, and Ruffalo said, yeah, I think there's still some stories to tell, and Feige basically asked him to come in and explain what those stories would be, and he said, we'll see if we can find a place for you in the Marvel Universe. Um, so, and then also uh, Mark Ruffalo said that he wanted to see like a Hulk versus Wolverine movie. So, uh, this idea is interesting to me because Universal, as far as I know, still holds the rights to distribute solo Hulk movies. So I don't think we're going to be seeing Kevin Feige make some sort of Spider-Man, Sony-style deal where Marvel Studios has the ability to release a, a solo Hulk film. But the idea that he said, we'll see if we can find a place for you in the Marvel Universe, seems to indicate to me that they want to keep Mark Ruffalo's Hulk around 
but just maybe as a supporting character, like how they did in uh, Thor Ragnarok. The idea of him, you know, fighting against Wolverine or whatever, like, you know, that that's happened a ton of times in the comics. I think in actually in Wolverine's very first appearance in the comics in 1974, he fought Hulk. So it, that's like a tried and true concept. And it, it makes sense. And I think people would like lose their minds, you know, fanboys and stuff would lose their minds if they actually saw that happen. But um, Chris, do you think that's a, a smart way to introduce the X-Men into the Marvel Cinematic Universe is, is by having... Uh, Wolverine face off against Hulk or is this just like sort of pipe dream things? Um, I mean, it might work because that's how they brought Spider-Man into the Marvel Cinematic Universe by throwing him into Civil War. So I guess there is some precedent of introducing new characters in other films. So maybe yeah. it could work. I just, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like there should never be another another Wolverine movie just because Logan was such like a perfect send off for that character. But I know, again, that's unrealistic and fans want more and Hollywood wants more. So we will get one eventually. Yeah, I kind of agree with you there. But in with the inevitable new Wolverine, who would you actually be excited about? Uh Werner Herzog as Wolverine, like oh, yes, what, what that sort would of be great? I would <laughs> Werner Herzog as the new Wolverine would be amazing. Do you have any real suggestions, like people that you think might actually be chosen that you would be like maybe raise an eyebrow about and be like, oh, I, I guess I could see this. I, I might be interested in this. I don't know, man, because like I don't, I don't like I, I, that character is so sta- associated with like Hugh Jackman in my mm-hmm. mind at this point. It, it's hard to picture anyone else in that part like i guess i feel like it would have to be sort of like what they did with hugh jackman where he was like relatively unknown when they cast him and he sort of became a star based on that i feel like that's like the best way to go about this character what if they cast dogary scott now as wolverine he was the one I mean, who was he, supposed to be wolverine initially i'm sure he would be thrilled about that because <laughs> it's but i don't know if how i would feel um, I, I think that actually there was some there were some rumblings that maybe Tom Hardy would be, and I don't know if this was like I don't think this was in any sort of official capacity, but I think people were asking Hugh Jackman like what he would think of uh, Tom Hardy as a successor to that character. What would you make of of Tom Hardy as as Wolverine? I'm sure he'd be great, but Tom Hardy was already Bane, and now he's Venom. Are we really going to get him as like? yet another character i guess he would do it he seems like <laughs> if, he seems like the type of person who would be like all right i'll do that if he did venom he'll probably do anything at this point yeah all right well i think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode of slash film daily i think we're going to have two uh interview episodes coming up for you guys for the rest of this week um we're not going to do the mandalorian recap that peter and and brad and brian young have been doing on friday although i think there is a new episode of the mandalorian that's coming out that day but um my understanding is that they're going to wait until next Friday and then maybe talk about both of the new episodes. So uh, TBD on that. But um, in any case, you will have more episodes of the show uh, to, dropping in your feed for the rest of this week. Uh, Chris, let's tell people where they can find more of our work online. Let's go ahead and start with you. Uh, you can find me at SlashFilm.com and I'm on Twitter at Evangelista 413 You can find me writing at SlashFilm.com as well. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Ben Pears. And you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at SlashFilm.com and linked inside the show notes of this episode. SlashFilm Daily is published every weekday, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and send your feedback, questions, 
comments, and concerns to us at peter at slashfilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends, spread the word, and we will talk to you tomorrow.